Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Elaine's mission? End the silence, stigma, and shame about suicide, ideation, and mental health. Sharing your burden can lighten your load. Elaine says we must normalize the conversation to make it easier for you to voice your pain and be able to ask for help. Reaching out to another human being when you're in need of a listening ear must become the norm. Please note, the Suicide Zen Forgiveness podcast is for education only. Some of this subject matter could be triggering. For those of you that are either grieving or having mental health problems, please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. And now, here's your host, Elaine Lindsay. So I'm excited to share with you my guest, Michael Wood. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael. Thanks so much for asking me to come on here with you, Elaine. It's going to be a great conversation. It, it's, it's really interesting. And for our audience, Michael and I live in the same city. And I have to say, I have great respect for Michael as an individual because he has and continues to do a great deal for our city. We have not ever met in person to the best of my knowledge. We will definitely be changing that soon. I'm not much of a winter person, but <laughs> we will get there. Today's talk, we are going to cover what we need to. It's the usual here on suicides and forgiveness. I'm a firm believer in letting the conversation flow where it needs to go because you listening and maybe some nugget that you can use. I'm going to turn the floor over to Michael and say, we're, we're going to be talking about your brother and, um, I'm just going to let you take it from there and I'll pop in as we go. Sure. I uh, appreciate you having me come on and to have this discussion with you. So one of the challenges, I think the way things life is kind of set up is that we're to make as much money as possible, make all of this money. And I do think that at some point you can make too much money where you don't actually worry about what you spend it on any longer. And most people that know me will tell you that I am the world's most frugal person and I do not spend money on anything unless I have to. And the scenario being with, with my brother's situation was he did make an exorbitant amount of money with his job as a partner at a major consulting firm, global consulting firm. And he did very well from that perspective and basically lived on a plane from, for, I'm not sure how many years per se, but let's say 20 years lived on a plane back and forth. And so the pandemic comes along where people are no longer traveling. I think one of the things that is important to take a note of is all the advertisements that you see on television now, especially during the pandemic, it was all alcohol based ads, right? And then now it's all gambling based, which I think will be our next epidemic, yeah. if you will, will be people in the crisis that they're in from gambling. The scenario being was, I'm sure while traveling, my brother had alcoholic drinks, enjoyed alcoholic drinks. But I think what happened for 
not only him, but a lot of people was once they were resorted to being at home, it was a lot easier to fulfill these type of mm -hmm. urges and addictions that uh, some people would have. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, led to the end of his days. Yeah, yeah. And was your brother younger or older than you? Uh, younger, but we're, we're, we were 18 months apart. So he actually, his birthday would have been Boxing Day or December 26th. For those that are listening and watching outside of the Commonwealth, Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. But so it would have been December 26th. He would have turned 46. I'm 47 now. And I turned 48 in May. Was younger, but we were essentially the same age. And when you were kids, were you very similar in your likes and attitudes or were there distinct differences between you? No, we were very similar. And Elaine, I'll tell you and your listeners a, a funny story. We, so based on our ages, <clears throat> one year we were on the same hockey team and then the next year we weren't just based on our ages. And so we were playing hockey and playing against a small town, not that far outside of Ottawa. And a guy hit me pretty hard out on the ice. We were kids. And uh, so anyways, I said to the other hockey player, I said, do you want to go? Which obviously in hockey talk is, do you want to have a little scrap, a little fight? And Elaine, I'll tell you, he, uh, this other guy for the other team, he was, he was laying it on me pretty good. And all of a sudden it just stopped. And I looked and my brother had jumped the boards to come in and had removed him from me and it was a bigger brawl and I remember my mother saying back in the day all she could think at the time was oh those Nepean boys and then she saw M Wood and Jay Wood being escorted off the ice by the referees we did have very similar interests and we did a lot of similar things and professionally our lives were very different I was a touring guitar player for 10 years and toured all over North America I worked with Casey Kasem from America's Top 40, and was a voting member for the Grammys for six years. I've been to the Grammys many times. And then I actually became a part-time college professor and own a business as well, too. And let's start with something that I think is important because people often are very hesitant to say the name of the loved one that they lost. So let's mention your brother's name, starters. For sure. Yeah. So my brother, uh, his name was Jeff Wood. Jeff. Yeah. So Jeff, you said was into consulting and yeah, I can understand in that field, there is a great deal of entertainment involved. Now for you in the music business, same deal. Okay. They, they, yeah. There's a lot of entertainment there. There had to be I would think other maybe subtle differences in your attitudes. Were you or Jeff easier to anger or were you both even keel? He sounds like he was the more protective of the two of you. Yeah, I think we were both pretty even keel. What ended up happening, and I know that obviously being a consultant is a business, that's a business I have now to myself. But uh, I ran the band as a business. And so I stayed out of some of the debauchery back in the hotel, working on the contracts, working with the record company and the label. And, oh, it's, oh, we've got to drive 
12 hours to the next show and the show starts in eight hours, how is this going to happen? So those were the different things that I'd be working on. So I think that while I ran it as a business, he ran it as a business. I just think it was a little bit more, I was a little bit more focused perhaps on the type of business I was in. And I also knew based on everything I saw around me all the time, the challenges that people would face in the music business if they got into some into some problems. Oh, I, absolutely. And I, I found my son was in two bands when he was quite young, but the band members were older than him. So he was the one that abstained always. And he was the one that was always the designated driver and was the one that hung back and kept his wits about him. It sounds like that's part of what you did. What I'm curious, and I know the audience is curious to know, is who was the band? Sure. So the band was actually called Circuit, which was based off the idea of you would be playing like the club circuit. And so like the B level, A level circuit. And we ended up touring with Kansas. I toured with Vince Neal from Motley Crue, the singer from Motley Crue, and a whole bunch of other people. Jeff Healy I performed with, who's no longer, unfortunately, with us. But And I played all kinds of stadiums all throughout Canada, the U.S. I played to the entire center here in my hometown, our hometown. And yeah. I actually did do a show, I think, with your son back in the day because he knew somebody in the band. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And going to Casey Kasem's home outside oh, Beverly God. Hills was... These are things you'll never forget for as long as you live. I met Slash from Guns N' Roses. And I'll tell you, you would never have known he was the guitar player from that November Rain guitar solo by the church. He was just the most down-to-earth, easygoing guy. His real name in his, his name in real life is Saul Hudson. And when I was with him, I you really felt you were just sitting with some guy named Saul and not somebody named Slash. He was super super nice and the other thing too i'll tell you quick elaine that with the grammys there's the pre-tell awards which are the ones that just don't make the tv and then there's the televised awards and then there's the after party and with the pre-televised awards you can sit anywhere you want it's not like you have a ticket but they don't have assigned seating and maybe some of your audience people will know who i'm talking about i don't think they're that popular but let's say it was 10 years ago they made some announcement. This woman won something. She stood up. She was like six feet tall with blonde hair. She was a kid in the teenager twenties. Yeah. Her name her name was Taylor something. And I went over to her and I said, Hey, how you doing? I'm Mike Wood. And she goes, Oh, I'm Ta I think Elena, I think she said Taylor Swift or Swift. Anyways, I don't remember, but I did meet her quickly. That whole part of my life is something I'll never forget. And all the pictures on the wall of my home office are all my past life too. Uh, yeah, that it's so incredible when you get to meet people that I know peripherally some of the things that you've done because of my son and because my son's still in the music industry. So I know what's going on. It's, it's nice to get to actually talk to people because you do have all these wonderful memories. Was your brother a party to where you went and what you did, or was his life really separate? Uh, he lived in Toronto, and so it was a little bit more, we'd see each other on holidays and family celebrations and so on. So I didn't see him as much as if he happened to live in Ottawa, if that was the case. 
but he was definitely aware of everything that I was up to. And he has two kids and 12 and seven and for their birthdays and so on and so forth. I was going down to Toronto for that and pretty neat watching them grow up. And, but yeah, we'll have to see where this goes now moving forward. Yeah. And the loss of your brother is relatively recent. Correct. Uh, is this something that for a while you felt was perhaps on the horizon? Was it something that was in the back of your mind because of his choices or his lifestyle, specifically since the pandemic? For sure. Not to totally deviate the, the topic here, but it, it does fit in, well, let's say 2022. And it's probably important for your audience members to know this, for those in Ontario, I would receive messages, end of life messages, text messages, let's say 11 o'clock at night. And the first time that happened in 2022, not 1976, 2022, I called 911 and I said, I need police and ambulance to this house. And they told me, sorry, we can't transfer the calls. We don't have the technology. And as I say, not 1976, 2022. Yeah. And the CRTC, which is the Canadian Communications Division, was saying that the update had to come in by 2025. There's other parts of the update that haven't come in that they're saying 2026. So to give you some more context too, if somebody was in a situation, if a woman was in a situation and she was being assaulted in her home, she can't pick up the phone and call 911, but perhaps she could lock herself in the bathroom and text 911 and say, I need police here right now. This is the address. I say this because that is not mandated by the government to come until 2026. Yeah. So I went to Queens Park because I, it was interesting, Elaine, because I had a reporter from one of the global, one of the national newspapers in Canada, the Globe and Mail, reach out to me and she's, "Are you sure about this?" After I said my call can be transferred, and I said, "For sure." And I said, "Why are you asking?" And she said that she was in Calgary in Alberta. And her friend had posted something to Facebook. She called 911, said transfer me to Ottawa, and they did. And so what ended up happening, or what happened was, it was determined or discovered that TELUS runs 911 out west, Bell runs it in Ontario, and Rogers runs it in other places from what I understand, but yeah. in Ontario, it's run by Bell. So I went to Queen's Park and I met with uh, all four parties. I met with the leader of the Green Party, Mike Schreiner. I met with Joel Harden, who is a local MPP here for the NDP. I met with Stephen Blay, who's a liberal uh, MPP. And then I met with the conservatives who are in power. And I met with a lot of ministers and chiefs mm -hmm. of staff. And, and I basically laid it out that we need this updated now. Yeah. And so anyways, I was happy that around November 5th, somewhere along there, it was announced that it was announced to me that Ottawa had received the update and where we live. So now calls can be transferred anywhere in North America okay. Good. because I did work with the city of Ottawa on that. And now I'm going back to the Ontario government and I'm saying, let's go. I will get all of Ontario updated for people who are in these situations where they're getting these messages. So to answer your question, yes, I knew, but 
the challenges are is there's other people in these situations that wouldn't think that you can't have your call transferred to another city if need be. And along the same lines, but in February, March of 2021, I was on the phone with a friend in Toronto. My friend has issues with alcohol as for a very long time. And she had fractured her humerus. I shattered mine a number of years ago, so I was trying to give her some things that she could do to make the pain less and how she should handle herself for different things. And unbeknownst to me, she was still smoking at the time, and she got herself across the threshold out onto the balcony to have a cigarette while trying to hang on to the phone with one arm. When she got out there, I said, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm just having a smoke. I said, you're having a smoke where? On the How did you get on the bulk? Get in the house. And at that moment, the phone dropped. And then I heard crashing and nothing for 10 minutes. I just couldn't make myself hang up because I, there was nobody there but her. Right, and, right. Um, at that point, I felt really stupid because I didn't know her address. I've known this person since I was 12 years old, but I didn't know her address. I just knew how to get there when I went to Toronto. Sure. So, I kept calling and finally she managed to get the phone to her. She had fallen on the balcony. She was in a pair of pajamas and it was like minus 20. And I was in such panic mode. So just stay there. I will call you right back. I'm going to call 911 and got the shock of my life because they said, there's nothing we can do. My friend is on a balcony outside. She is locked out of her apartment. She has a fractured humerus. She can barely move. And I was lucky because the gentleman that I spoke with took pity on my friend. And he hung up, took my number, called Toronto, and told them what was going on so that they called me. And I was able to give them her cell number and some other information. And they ended up having to break into the apartment and manage to get her before she froze to death, thank God. But I was absolutely shocked when you talked about going and, and you, I think it was in the paper about you going to Toronto? Yeah, so I had actually no idea, but the Ottawa Sun put me on the cover. Because I did go to Toronto and I did meet, and I'm going to continue to meet until all of Ontario is updated because Excellent. you can't, you can't have somebody in Thunder Bay, Ontario, way Ooh. up north that needs uh, support. And once I posted a few things to social, a lot of people had sent me notes saying that they'd experience yeah. the same thing and yeah. they just didn't know how to fix it. And I'll tell you the one thing, Elaine, I'm not going to lie to you. You, I think have been watching my updates over time and. I think that I'm pretty much a pit bull. So I go out, I get, I get stuff done and that's it. Yeah. And I was very upset about it. Didn't know what to do at the time or what I could do. 
And then I lost my sister and, um, in 2021. And that kind of put paid to <laughs> the next six months, things fell off the radar. But I was really thrilled when I saw that you were going after this in 2022, because I realized just how critical it was. She's downtown in a huge city and there was no one that could have helped her. Right. That's got to be terrifying for people. And to think that in a country such as this, we don't have a unified network. Now, I was just gobsmacked. I, I had no concept. My, myself as well. And as I say, the other provinces, the, the, the one thing, the argument, if you will, for lack of a better term, is that other provinces charge a 911 fee on cell phones. And some of them are more expensive. I thought we had one here in Ontario. I believe Saskatchewan is $1.81 per month, but that's fine. Even if it were to cost $20 a year per person and we could have an updated system then and save lives, then what's $20 at the end of the day? Absolutely. The saving lives, I think, is really important. And this is only one of the things we need in terms of saving lives in this area if you will, because just calling the police isn't always what's required at that moment. And we don't have, at the moment, the training for the police and other first responders in how to deal with people that are on the edge. Totally it's agree. It's really difficult. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And that makes it really hard. It makes it hard for family like yourself when, when you're constantly holding your breath, waiting for that next call. And there's a lot of families out there that are in yeah. that position, which makes it very difficult. But I have to thank you. And yes, I do know that you are a pit bull and I am <laughs> so grateful that you are. Ottawa is so grateful that you latch on to a problem and you stick with it until you get things changed. And that's, that's pretty rare, Michael. It's pretty rare. I, this is apart from you being my guest on this show, that's something that I have applauded about you for years. And I'm glad we finally got to meet. I'm only sorry it's under the circumstances of you losing your brother. What I want the audience to understand is we don't always plan out loud. Sometimes we do, but even when we don't take proper care of ourselves, we can be putting ourselves in a position to basically leave this world and leave our people in a way that feels like you have left us, if you will. And that is, is very difficult for people because drinking, drugs, uh, anorexia, there are so many forms that these things take that can affect the people in our lives. And it can be very difficult for friends and family to have to 
stand back and not be able. Uh, I just I thought you were going to say someone else. I didn't want to cut you off. Sorry. Do jump in because, yeah, I'm not even sure where that was going to go because it, it is such a huge frustrating piece for all of us. For sure. And I think I, I, I was just going to say quickly, being in an environment where I work with youth regularly, I'm at the college three, four classes a semester. And for, for that short amount of time that I am there, I do have many of them come up to me expressing all kinds of challenges with mental health because they know that I'm open and I have no judgment and I'm there to assist and help. And I think the more people feel that the person that they're going to speak to about whatever is on their plate, whatever the challenge is, that they're not going to be judged, that it's going to be a wide open discussion. I think it is only helpful moving forward to help these people that uh, are just looking for that assistance. And uh, at the same time too, we can only do as much as we can if somebody isn't prepared to potentially move forward to get the assistance that they need. We still have to support them and understand, and let them know that we're there for that time when they do feel they are ready to go. But it's a game of balance, right? Everything in this life is a game of balance and we just have to find ways to support each other. Oh, absolutely. And I think a good step in the right direction is us taking on 988 as well. Yep, 100%. Yeah, yeah, and certainly not before time. We have uh, an entire page of resources from around the world. And I often will say in one of uh, my guest interviews that if anyone has emergency numbers or distress centers in another country that we do not yet have on our resource list, please send them in and we are more than happy to add them. I'd like people to be able to have the opportunity to get help wherever they may be. 100%. At the end of the day, we are all human and we all are dealing with X, Y, and Z. And I'll say quickly here, the one thing that we have to always remember when we're dealing with people, nobody has any idea what is running in the background of people's lives. So we look at somebody like, wow, I wish I had that life. It's perfect or, or whatever the case is. We just have to always remember that there's always something running in the background, maybe something somebody's not willing to talk about publicly leading up to anything. So at the end of the day, kindness matters. Be kind to everybody out there because we are all dealing with something in the background. That is such, such a, a good piece of information. And it's something, yeah, we all need to remember because if you scratch the surface, of any human being, you are going to find something else that may be hindering them in some part of their life. The other part of that is I want you to know that you're not alone. Whatever you are going through, there is somebody else that has walked in those steps. Maybe not exactly the same, but they understand how you're feeling so much better for you to try and talk to somebody. Reach out. And I said this before, I, maybe you don't have someone very close. Reach out to a neighbor. Reach out to the guy at the gas station. Okay, reach out to another human being. You will be amazed just how many people 
are open to trying to help someone else. And I don't want people to limit themselves to think, like, I don't have somebody here. I need to be exactly, you know, near somebody, which is definitely not true. You don't have to have friends and family that are in your city. You just need to be able to reach someone. Michael, in winding down, I wanted to ask you if you had any suggestions, tips, or perhaps, I don't know, meditations, visualizations, something you use when you're having a stressful day or when you just need to, to take a pause? That's a, it's a great question. So I am fortunate that I do have a tremendous network of wonderful people in my life and that I can reach out to, I can call and I can go visit, go have a coffee with, whatever the case is. I am fortunate that way. And I think for those that may have more limitations on that side of things, understand that typically nobody's going to judge you if you call and you say, listen, I'm not really having a tough time here. I need to speak with somebody. And we're all, we all have to support each other. We all, at the end of the day, have to be there because even though we may not understand what somebody's going through today, we could be that person going through something like that six months from now, a year from now. Always be there to support one another. And as I said earlier, kindness matters. And we just need to really be there. And I'll tell you real fast, I have a friend of mine who's relatively high profile in the city here. And he sends me a lot of messages. And so again, just think about the, you look at somebody and you're like, wow, they got this great life, this perfect life. And everybody has something that's running in the background. So when we go out and we're pushing our cart around Walmart and whatever the case is, just be nice to everybody. Just smile and uh, be super kind. That's so well said. I'm going to add one thing to that. And that is, we were not put here. We are not set to be an island. We cannot do it alone. We have to reach out to others. And some of us, it takes us a long time to figure that out. But the point is, you don't have to figure it out because some of us older folks have been and done all the silly stuff. I suggest you reach out to whomever because it really does take a village for everything and we're all human. I want to say thank you so much, Michael Wood, for joining me today. We respect and honor your brother, Jeff. And as you had said, Boxing Day would have been his birthday and yours will be, you said about six months. That's that 18 month spread is close. That's, that must have been nice as kids. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And as per usual, say, make the most of your today every day. And we will see you next time. Thank you for being here for another inspiring episode of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. We appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe and download on your favorite service and check out SZF's YouTube channel or Facebook community. If you have the chance to leave a five-star rating or review, it'd be greatly appreciated.
Please refer this to a friend you know who may benefit from the hope and inspiration from our guests. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by the following sponsors. Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you rocking page one in the search results. Canada's keynote humorist Judy Croon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City, Judy has been involved for over a decade in the City Street Outreach Program in Toronto. Lisa Sugarman, Boston-based author, columnist, and crisis counselor with The Trevor Project, America's largest suicide and crisis support network for at-risk LGBTQ youth, storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, survivor of suicide loss, and mental health advocate. Lisa's purpose aligns with the lanes as Lisa shares content and sparks conversations to help end the stigma of suicide and connect people with the support and hope they deserve. Do you have a story to share? Do you know someone you think would be a great guest? Please go to szf42.com. And for our American listeners, that's szf42.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again.